Greetings and welcome to Unabridged You, the podcast that is dedicated to celebrating the entirety of who you are. I'm your host Julie and today we're having a short session of me sharing my ramblings. (laughs) Uh, But before that, I've been asked this question a few times. People are curious to know where I'm finding the guests for the podcast. Uh, I know some of them. Some of them I have followed on social media. Some of them I've heard about. Others have started to be recommended to me. But mainly I just ask. That might sound silly, but everybody has a story. And I think a lot of us are keen to share our stories because maybe we realize it can be a little bit of a light in the dark for somebody else. Or maybe we're curious about how other people have been or are and when I'm asking in general people are keen to share their stories so that's hopefully an answer to that question as the episodes have progressed there's been some themes that I have seen popping out some ideas that um, I thought I might take time every now and then to jump into a little bit deeper One of them, and the first one that's on my mind, has been brought up a couple of times, which is the idea of how the education system may or may not support the idea of the authentic or unabridged person. I know that I personally have brought this up when we've been talking to some people in the episodes, and it's something that I feel is quite close to my heart because my... um, PhD was on education and at that time I got to look a bit deeper into the history of schooling in New Zealand and it helped me understand a bit more about what my experience had been. So in this episode we're going to have a little bit of a look at that. To do this topic a bit of justice, we're going to be jumping forwards and backwards because it wasn't until later in my academic life that I think I actually started to understand this properly. When I left home after finishing high school, I went off to university where I started to study anthropology. Anthropology is culture and society through time and space. And when I discovered this discipline, I was really excited because it was in my mind a cross-disciplinary subject when I'd been at high school the classes were siloed so English literature was about English literature and statistics was about statistics and history was about history those subjects didn't really cross over much but then there was anthropology (laughs) an example of the cross-disciplinary way that I could access knowledge was that I found myself really interested in methamphetamine, which at the time in New Zealand was called P, um, and I actually became interested in it when I was traveling overseas and I uh, was working at a youth hostel in Scotland. And I read a newspaper article about this drug that was coming to the UK that was expected to come that summer. And I realized from the way it was explained that it was actually methamphetamine that we had been having a problem with in New Zealand and I thought to myself 
New Zealand is a pretty special place because we have these quite strict borders. You know, uh, we are an island. Our borders are patrolled quite strictly. If you've ever flown into New Zealand, you know the biosecurity or watched one of those border control programs. <laughs> you know, our, our biosecurity is quite strict. Um, so I thought of New Zealand as a closed unit. And I thought if I go back and study this drug in New Zealand, then maybe I could <laughs> fix the problem with the world. It didn't, it didn't quite work like that. <laughs> but um, studying methamphetamine through anthropology, I got to explore the ideas of neuroscience and pharmacology and understand better what actually happens within a person's brain when they take this specific drug let alone the way that society was affected by this drug being in the communities. I got to look at the legal aspects and follow along because during that time methamphetamine was reclassed to a class A drug, but there wasn't extra law enforcement trained or legal people put through the system, so everything was overwhelmed. And then I got to explore addiction and rehabilitation and there was a bit of psychology in there and uh, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and then there was a discourse analysis so I looked at what was written in print media about methamphetamine and I could really see how the idea of a moral panic can be created by the newspapers or the places that we get our news from sharing the information from specific perspectives and it was brilliant I felt like I had finally found this area that that crossed all of those borders of those things that I was interested in I said that we will be jumping forward and back a little bit and this is one of those points <laughs> maybe um, growing up in the schooling system that I did I didn't comprehend that those subjects were siloed until I got to university and realized that there were other options. I just know that I, my brain works in that cross-curricular way and so I definitely enjoyed learning a lot more when I could look at things and pull all the pieces in together without um, feeling that I was wasting time or yeah, following an interest when I should have been working on something, you know. Jumping forward again uh, to my PhD, this was on innovative or modern or contemporary learning environments in New Zealand secondary schools. And if you're interested, I can go into detail on that project at another time. But the point here is, when I did that, part of what I needed to learn was the general context of why the learning environments in New Zealand had been changing from the sort of environment where I had gone to school. And that might be a similar environment to when a lot of you listeners had gone to school, regardless of the country that you're in. But I think it was fairly common um, in the 80s, 90s, that the classroom was a small rectangular box with about 30 students and one teacher and desks that all face towards the blackboard. Uh, the environments that I was studying were large 
uh, open plan classrooms that might have been at least six times the size of those traditional cellular classrooms. Uh, but it wasn't only the learning environment that had changed these large open plan spaces, but the way that learning was happening within the space was becoming more cross-curricular. So that meant that um, we started to study a novel and then in geography we could look at where in the actual world that was happening and what happens when a volcano erupts and then we could go over into social studies and see what was happening for people in that real life situation that the novel is based on and then in science you could explore it deeper or there's this cross-curricular idea that you could jump off and find interests for different students. So when this was all coming about, I am a person who likes to have a good foundation of knowledge. So I needed to explore the general context of what had been happening in New Zealand to lead to the type of education that I had had with the siloed subjects and then the type of education with the cross-curricular learning. And the type of education that I had where classes were often streamed so you were ability grouped you maybe based on English or mathematics and then you would generally be with those students uh, in all your other subjects while in these modern learning environments you had a hundred students which was pretty much the whole year level in one space all together and they needed to interact with people who weren't in their ability streaming or the same socioeconomic group or the same um, cliques that they had been in since primary school because they had been grouped together and and just moved forward. There were these huge changes happening and I, looking back, can see how these ideas can be applicable to the unabridged person. We We were siloed with the subjects, with the specific people we were put in the groups with, um, maybe even with our interests. And then it's, it all opened up. And so the question was why? So I'm going to go to my thesis now and read you a bit of that because the truth is that once I had handed that in and it was out of my brain, um, it's a lot more eloquent to read than to try and remember. <laughs> General context, a little bit of history of the New Zealand schooling system. When Europeans came to New Zealand in the 19th century, they brought with them the organisation of the school structure from their home countries. In 1877, the Department of Education was established and schooling was made compulsory for children in New Zealand between the ages of 7 and 13, where they would attend lessons to learn English have Christian values instilled and be taught moral habits. This curriculum was promoted to ensure the future success of the colony. As time passed, the school leaving age increased, secondary schools were established, and the curriculum became broader in scope. Any areas included in the curriculum were always promoted with a focus on developing productive citizens and the success of the nation. Throughout the history of secondary school education in New Zealand, in general, 
A major focus in the classroom had been on what students learn and examining that knowledge compared to how they learn and developing those skills. A focus was also preparing students for further education or employment outside of school, which has previously valued knowledge retention and the ability to work as you were told when you were told within a bureaucratic hierarchy. In the particular time span that I was studying, the uh, New Zealand School Property Strategy 2011 to 2021 was operative. And it's important to note this because as classrooms needed to be renovated or built, or as entire new schools were built, they were required to align with the visions and goals of this document. As stated, the Ministry of Education is focused on having a world-leading education system that equips all New Zealanders with the knowledge, skills and values to be successful citizens in the 21st century. The idea of creating successful citizens for the 21st century was influenced by national needs and international ideas around education. Just as historically, the organisational structure of schools in New Zealand was previously influenced by European ideas around education, specifically regarding the turn toward these large open plan learning spaces, the Ministry of Education was influenced by the OECD and ongoing research into how to design education for learners to prepare them for the 21st century. The OECD suggests that schools today need to prepare students for more rapid economic and social change than ever before, for jobs that have not yet been created, to use technologies that have not yet been invented, and to solve problems that we do not yet know will arise. Research indicates that a successful citizen in the 21st century is a creative person who can find and apply knowledge in novel situations. They have good communication skills and can collaborate with others in both work and home life. They are literate, think through issues and find solutions autonomously. So how do we feel about that? Uh, I think it sounds like the government is now trying to create unabridged people. <laughs> can you see me winking at my microphone? I think the government is now trying to create unabridged people when previously uh, it was those, that siloed knowledge, that knowledge retention, that ability to do as you were told, when you were told within a bureaucratic hierarchy that was, that was valued. So learning this helped me understand why things were as they were, which has helped me go forward thinking about how things can be and it's also something that I consider having two children in the in the schooling system you know um, who, who creates it why what do we want to support in society and you know all of those all of those big thoughts <laughs> but I'm think I'm going to leave us here for now the idea was to just jump into that I guess history lesson <laughs> of why school is as school was because that whole idea of leaving school and then sort of breaking out of that mold has been a bit of a theme that has popped up and I'm sure will continue to and now we have a little bit more general context to uh, understand really and I quite like understanding <laughs> so thank you for listening to here 
Um, if you've got anything you'd like to share or add, please contact me. All of that stuff, those contact details are in the show notes. I look forward to our next episode. See you then. Bye.